This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is London FinTech Podcast, episode 157, brought to you in association with Smart Pension. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Brad Goodall, CEO and co-founder of Banked, to discuss simple ways in which payments can be improved for merchants. As I've said on the show many times before, I personally have never had a payment fail in my life and pay nothing for them now, so what's the problem? But in this context, it occurs to me that I'm also a consumer, albeit not a merchant. If you are a merchant, you have to pay in all sorts of ways for payments. And thus, of course, me as a consumer actually ends up being hit by the price, even if it isn't obvious to me at the time. For merchants, they have to pay for machines, payments fees, chargebacks, fraud, and no doubt 101 other things. So it is not ideal for them. Banked are using a direct payments approach. So in schematic simplified terms, let's say I'm with Barclays and the merchant is with NatWest. Let's say again schematically that Banked have APIs with both these banks. Then In theory, Banked could provide a payment service for the cost of running a few simple lines of code, i.e. next to zero. Of course, the actual model is slightly more complex than that, although that's the essence. And thus, we have the idea that maybe the need for all these complex payments pipes around the world, which are expensive, might actually over time disappear as a more direct API approach gains ground. Or will it? Let's dive into this topic of whether both merchants and consumers couldn't benefit by new means of bypassing all the complex payments mechanisms we have at present. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. Morning, Brent. Thanks for joining me today. Mike, it's great to be here. Thanks very much for having me. So when we were chatting about what we'll be chatting about, you told me something of a revelation that you're from Australia. That's right. Which listeners probably could never actually spot. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I came out to uh, I came out to the UK in 2014. So yeah, I've been here for six years now, and it feels like it's been a very eventful six years since I since I arrived. Australia is sort of half a sensible country at least, and some parts of it have got quite nice weather. So why on earth did you join the sort of what seems to be something of an exodus of people coming to this godforsaken land weather-wise and also uh, roughly everything else at the moment? I can certainly tell you that's turning over in my brain as I'm as I'm locked down <laughs> locked down in my uh, in my apartment in Hampstead at the moment but um yeah look my wife's from Ireland um so um so there was an entry point that I was able to I was able to to get to the UK and be close to family but bluntly it was um it was the fintech scene here in 2014 was really booming I've been in financial technology for longer than they've been calling it fintech back in Australia and so you know trying to get trying to get some different experiences and um exposure to to what was fintech in 2014 was sort of the key the key reason for moving over right well I think I've got a new idea for you and also for me actually which might solve a number of our problems which is there was a chatting on LinkedIn to some Irish guy this morning about the fact that the Isle of Man have removed all restrictions whatsoever. They just said, forget it. We're going back to the old normal, none of this new normal rubbish. So I was suggesting that uh, both the governance of ERA and the governance of the United Kingdom could be improved by becoming part of the Isle of Man empire. And and if people aren't up for that, well, then we can all move to the Isle of Man and start an Isle of Man fintech scene. <laughs> well, indeed. I think there's certainly a playbook there. It definitely feels like... 
at the moment anyway. I think we're trying to find a way to see how we can get locked down even further from communication. I think that, that seems to be the thing that is uh, is going through my mind right now is it's, you know, what's right and what's wrong is uh, is probably the bigger question that you get at the start of the day. Yes. Occasionally I get on Twitter, less so on LinkedIn. Somebody will tweet to me saying, what's at London FinTech doing? moaning about the overall situation. Well, apart from the fact that at London FinTech, i.e. me, knows countless businesses that are struggling, GDP is down 25% in two months. And uh, you must actually have no connection with business whatsoever if you think that that doesn't affect every tech scene, every um, business scene. And in all seriousness, to your point about coming to the UK and to London, which has a very thriving fintech scene. There is a reason that it was a thriving fintech scene here and an allegedly conservative government does seem to have forgotten what the essentials of creating an appropriate business environment are. And whilst this may all be over in a few months or not, it is important for London to remain an attractive centre for business. And I'm saying this as, as yesterday, the newspapers were full of people buying trainers at Reeboks and queuing outside Primark and all this kind of stuff. And, and Matt did a great cartoon where someone's going to the checkout saying uh, Rishi Sunak is paying for all this, <laughs> you know, and, uh, under the chancellor is furloughing people, not me, sadly, until October. So the chancellor, a conservative chancellor, is paying people to couch surf, to riot and to go and sort of shop for trainers. I can't quite see the upside of that. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a long way to go, it feels like. I think um, I think the one thing I'd say, though, I mean, you know, having been having been here, you know, for some time, you know, over some pretty big, you know, things like Brexit and, and um uh, and, and you know the the leave and remain vote. Um, you know, I think I think London comes together. I think it, it, you know that's definitely been my impression of the last few years. And so, whilst I don't think we're through the thick of things at the moment, I think we're really only just you know getting to the start of the beginning. I think there's definitely a long road ahead. So I think I'm lucky because I get a lot of photos from my family who literally live one street from the beach, and that makes me beyond <laughs> jealous. Um, but but at the same time, I've got some pretty some pretty supportive friends and you know and colleagues and things like that in London. So I yeah, I feel I feel like. There's a, there is definitely some positivity in glass half full to, 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 to keep focused on. Yes, exactly. The, the environment can't be destroyed overnight, but it is being eroded. And time will tell us how far the erosion goes. But uh, you heard it here first. I better go off and, and register some sort of company in the <laughs> Isle of Man. Just have a plan B. It's always good to have a plan B. So in terms of leaving Australia on an aeroplane, I assume, and coming here, what was your career journey, Brad, that brought you to doing banked today yeah so i mean my you know my background I, I my father was in the navy so i moved around all over the place so i think change i, I definitely embrace change uh, and uh, you know i think when i was younger i literally embraced change every 12 months it felt like we were moving to a new house so you know up and leaving australia to move to the uk you know felt like a natural next step in terms of my life story but my career yeah i mean i i you know i left school and and joined a startup um which wasn't really called a startup when i joined it but uh but it was in the finance you know financial technology space i had an amazing time there fast growth fantastic founders and then we got a lot of investment from some big names and and then towards the end and um, of my time there, we were really trying to tackle online transactions. I joined sort of pre-2000 and I guess pre-mainstream internet and then got to watch what the impact of that was, was you know, on the business and on, you know, service design and technology. And then bounced around for a bit and then was involved in another company in 2010, which was focused on data migrations. It was a consulting business and we then built technology. And so got to see a great, you know, again, working with basically a bunch of friends and a, and a very kind of high pressured and um, an exciting environment. 
and then came to the UK in 2014 and was involved in, got involved in Level 39, I guess, trade bodies or movements like Innovate Finance. Um, and so got this fantastic fintech network as soon as I landed in the UK. And then in 2016, started a company with the ex-CEO of Barclays, which was a core banking platform built in the cloud. And that was great for, for a couple of years, but there was this thing that happened in the middle of it called open banking. And I saw this really big opportunity to do for payments, I guess, challenge payment incumbent com- incumbents in the same way that banks were being challenged by challenger banks. I felt that there was an opportunity to build a new payment network. And so left what was a successful business, uh, 10X Future Technologies in 2017, with some people that I was involved in starting it with and started banks first of January 2018. I see. So in terms of, you know, your basic online blog post, five ways to grow an awesome business today. Number one is go for a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. So one morning in your entrepreneurial uh, mindset, clearly you thought, how hard can it be to disrupt Visa and MasterCard? I mean, they haven't got much of a grip on the market, have they? (laughs) It's just like sort of David and Goliath, isn't it? Before you tell us how it's actually not like David and Goliath. (laughs) I suppose one of the really interesting things about fintech is that it's come at this time when technology barriers have been really lowered. And so a lot of what's been focused on is things like service. And and certainly, you know, for for banking, it's been about customer service and and, and service design and and speed to market with with unique propositions. I think in the payment space, the real entry point is how do you really strip out fees and, and, and strip out inefficiency in the system? And so the kind of big, hairy, audacious goal of going after, you know, big incumbents like Visa and MasterCard, you know, bluntly, that, that they've been operating on systems that were built pre-internet. They were built, you know, in the 50s and 60s, and they've been optimizing those rails and networks over the years and, and then they've been trying to optimize them for the advent of the internet and what we find ourselves now is we're in a position where actually we can create something and build something specifically for online and for digital rather than trying to optimize the old and so it's a little bit of you know you don't know what you don't know so i don't know the the challenges and the the constraints and the barriers if i you know because i wasn't involved in helping to build visa and mastercard or make visa and mastercard better along the way um, i don't come from that background and so instead what i've i've looked for is to to try and identify a system that technology is going to enable us to be able to strip out efficiency and you know, there's some some things. And the reason you can start this in Europe and the UK is because there's some legislation that, that was put in place that basically opens this door, opens this window. That's really why, you know, it's it, it's sort of going after a pretty big, you know, big incumbent um, because the timing is, is right. Yes, two things occurred to me. I mean, the first is we use the word technology or tech to mean a hell of a lot of stuff. And, sure. uh, and it almost tell, tells you nothing, really, like we're using computers. But just thinking more broadly about technology is that at a certain point in time, as much as possible was squeezed out of the propeller engine for aeroplanes, as could be got out of propeller engines. Yeah. And at that stage, working on propeller design, the law of diminishing returns long since set in. And you have to go and say, OK, oh, what about a jet engine? What about something completely different? You can no longer do the increment. Evolution can no longer go in tiny little things. It's got to go in a giant leap for something completely different. So I buy the completely different. And thinking of payments and you mentioning pre-2000 days and all that, I was also thinking from a business approach, which is that unless you've got a trillion dollars of capital, you don't sort of suddenly try and create in your garage terminals on every uh, business all around the world and then one day say, you know, when you improve Visa MasterCard. But 
PayPal, who did okay as far as I recall, they had a little beachhead in that they started on, on eBay and yeah. you know, one thing led to another and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, we'll come on to Banked a little bit later because really we're just trying to talk about how we can look at payments differently. But just very briefly, rather than sort of in 2017 on, on day one, you, you work on the total destruction of credit card companies and, and current payment systems in World War II terms that you try and invade the whole of Europe in one go simultaneously <laughs> every country. What's your kind of um, D-Day strategy? What's your sort of Normandy beaches that you're trying to sort of put your troops on first? Well, I think I think the thing about payments is that they're additive. So there's definitely a usefulness with credit cards. And, and, and so my position is really not to eradicate credit cards on day one. It's, it's largely the card bit, to be, to be honest. So basically, a credit card network, as we know it, not necessarily technically, but, but as, as, as maybe a consumer and a merchant knows it, provides for loyalty, insurance, credit, and payment initiation. And those are the those are the four common elements that everyone knows them knows them for. Sometimes I get loyalty points. There'll be certain things that I'll get, you know, certain payments that I get insured, but I can use money and and you know on on credit and pay for it later down the track. And and then and then someone can initiate a payment and and um and and funds can change hands for for goods or services. And so the idea is really that you want to be able to look at how of all of the actors and all of the places in there is is credit the best. You know, it is just giving somebody £5,000 on a card and saying, go and use this card whenever you want, wherever you want, you know, the right way to do it. Or are there other alternatives to that because you've connected up to the entire banking network? The thing that makes this possible is that Banked has done the technical integration and connected to all of the banks in the UK and, and it's now starting to pave its way through the banks in Europe. And so what that means is that we have a network of, of sorts where we, we can we can exchange money between a buyer and a seller or a sender and a receiver's account. What we then have to do is overlay on top of that all of the features and facilities that you would expect as a merchant or as a consumer that you would get from the credit card networks. And you don't necessarily have to do them all on day one. And so, you know, just simple payment initiation, you know, so a, a really good example, we have a good, we have a very good example with, with bank, with a charity, you know, paying a charity, you know, charity that's raising funds for the NHS, paying a charity uh, where the charity is forced to pay two plus percent of the fees sent to them versus being able to offer the charity in the case that we did, you know, fee free. And also where the charity require, is required to wait 10 days to receive access to the funds, but actually where we can send them the funds immediately. That's in itself a brilliant use case. You can say to the consumer, if you pay by card, then the charity will pay fees and they won't receive the funds immediately. If you pay via this new method using banked, they'll receive all of the funds that you donate and they'll receive the funds immediately. And that's a really good example of how you start to bring things to life. The first thing you need to do is get the payment out there. And the second thing is is, is produce clear results for the merchant and the consumer that are benefits. I see. So in terms of a a simple summary, and there's a, there's a lot in there, which we'll unpack later, but in terms of a simple summary of, of, of where your D-Day landings are, uh, the simple summary in two letters is, is the UK. <laughs> 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 okay, but anyway, we've, we've covered quite a bit in the meantime. So let's just go back to the basics. My in-depth research off the top of my head at the beginning, I said things like sort of costs and machines and fees and chargebacks and frauds and all that kind of stuff. So let's say I'm a merchant. Let's say that the London FinTech podcast suddenly has some merchandise out there. I've got sort of t-shirts. I've got hoodies. I've got, you know, you name it. And then so for the first time in my life, I go, oh, God. Yeah, what Brad was saying is right, actually. I, I thought there was no problem with payments, but bleeding, I've got all these problems. So what are all these problems that I would have if I suddenly start being a merchant tomorrow? 
that I would look ideally to have solved by somebody. Yeah, so some, some of the problems could be you need to take payment from someone and to take that payment, you need to go and speak to a company to provide you a physical device to be able to do that if you were if you were offline. But if you were, say, say you were online, say you were selling it um, in a physical store, uh, sorry, you were selling it on, a, on a, you know, an e-commerce platform, you would need to allow payment initiation or sign up some sort of agreement to initiate payment over credit card rails. And typically you would do that with companies like Stripe or Adyen, and they would they would have done all of the connectivity to the credit card networks. And they then simply give you, you know, uh, a few lines of code that you can then drop into your website. And then that allows a customer to be able to go in into their 16 digit number their address and all the, all the other things that you would normally expect when you when you make a payment by credit card. The things that you might not know, though, are if, especially if you're a small merchant, you're going to be paying on average across both debit and credit card, probably two plus percent. You are likely not to receive the funds immediately and, and you're more likely to receive them on a rolling 10 day basis. So there'll be 10 days that, you know, you, you, you again, depending on however you buy your stock or, or, you know, whatever bills you have coming up, it'll be based on, on the on the funds being sent to you over a rolling period of time. Now, you'll have the opportunity to request those funds earlier, but again, you'll see a percentage on top of that, um, of that fee. And, and what happens is it's a percentage of the transaction. So if you think back to, and, and it's a little bit unfair to make this comparison, but a percentage of a transaction, it's not amortized. So you're literally paying payday loan rates if you're saying, well, I, I took a payment from someone for £500 and I paid them 3% of that £500 to a payment initiation service because it's 3% of the 500 It's not 3% over 12 months. And so that's a pretty hefty, that's a pretty hefty fee. You know, you mentioned things like chargebacks. Chargebacks are there to protect the consumer for a number of things. One of them is if the business goes out, like goes bankrupt and you've sent, you know, funds. Or I don't send you a hoodie or I send you a hoodie without a hood or yeah. something and then I won't take it back. Correct. In that scenario, it's a broad brush approach. So in some scenarios of selling online goods, then that, that chargeback is useful to the consumer. But it does completely put the merchant under pressure that says, well, what happens if the consumer's card was stolen, for example? So the consumer's credit card stolen, the merchant takes payment for, you know, let's say you're not selling hoodies now, let's say you're selling high-end electronics devices, £5,000 worth of stuff gets sent out because £5,000 was used on the credit card. The customer then cancels the credit card because it was stolen from them. The £5,000 electronic gear has already been sent, and so that's in the wind now, and the merchant is is, is caught up in that scenario. Now, that, that exists because these old rails that we have, the, the credit card networks, said, well, a 16-digit PIN that can be copied and stored, and then we have a few things that get overlaid with security features like now you've got know, the three digit number at the back and things like that. If you were building a credit card network today, you wouldn't use that because you would know of all of the things that happen with storing numbers in, you know, in a database and the fact that that could get hacked or somebody just simply selling a piece of plastic and then being able to immediately use it online. And so using things like a mobile device that are a lot harder to access and then also using the security authentication to access things like your mobile banking app which again are a lot harder to access, brings that level of fraud that the merchant is actually impacted by down considerably. The point being that, yes, I totally believe that the consumer should be insured, and that's an insurance problem. So we should look to insure that. But we shouldn't 
put the merchant on a slippery slope that says, well, maybe it's a fine transaction or maybe it's a fraudulent transaction. We'll tell you after the goods have been sent. Right. And so briefly, what happens at the moment? If I'm a merchant and I'm selling London FinTech podcast Hi-Fi, I sell it to somebody for £5,000 and it turns out the person... I sold it to, just nicked the credit card. Is it very, very, I assume the answer is it's very complex and it all depends, but I mean, presumably it's a nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a process for the consumer. So there's a process for the consumer to cancel their card, have that money taken back, and then that money is then taken from the merchant. So the merchant then loses those those funds. But in the scenario of the merchant having some recourse, there are obviously fraudulent transactions that could potentially be fraudulent from the consumer. So the consumer was saying they didn't want the product, they didn't want any more, or I didn't receive the goods or, or, or whatever. And again, through that process, the point is that there should be insurance and there should be coverage, but there's inefficiency in the system. And so what we need to be doing is looking at how we can, we can extract the inefficiency and make it a, an even playing field for everybody involved, except for the person creating the fraud. Yes. Okay. So I've, I've got that. So the current system quotes works, unquotes, in that payments work and all that kind of stuff but it's a little bit rusty and all that and a bit like propeller airplanes there's nothing wrong with propellers they do a good job but they don't do as good a job as as a jet engine so in terms of jet engines without reviewing the entire history of payments in London since you arrived six years ago payments have been mentioned once or twice and people come up all all sorts of things blockchains and blah 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 and all those kind of crazy sort of tech in search of a solution albeit one that kills polar bears and we've now got to your sort of um, more API approach. Um, I mean, what is the sort of spectrum of possible solutions before we go on to how, how you're doing it and what the future looks like? The possible solutions to the old school, should we say, just sort of machines, credit card, debit cards. And why did you pick the one that you've picked? Yeah, so, so using the mobile device as a, you know, a means for taking payment and making payment is the, sta- is the clear starting point. So being able to remove a physical card reader and replace it with direct connectivity from a mobile phone to a post terminal that is also connected to the bookkeeping and reconciliations um, at the back end for a merchant. That's one way of creating efficiency versus what happens today, which is you know the closest that the kind of the data on what you paid for the goods, so you, so your receipt data and the card data get is when somebody staples those two things together. You know, that's why you get two receipts. One is one is based on the, the, the POS system and how people do their bookkeeping. And the other one is based on the records of receipt that, you know, that, that went through the card. So getting those those mobile devices to talk to one another is the first step. The second one is that where consumers view their account information, so i.e. their bank statements, like right now, bank statements are relatively dumb. So So you'll get like I shopped at John Lewis and I spent 600 pounds. But I won't know if it was, did I spend £600 in the Waitrose at the basement or did I spend £600 on electronics or did I buy you know, clothes? And so being able to unpack that SKU code level information and send that to a place that is that makes sense to you as a consumer, i.e. your bank statement and make your bank statement richer is, again, another efficiency that should be gained. So at the moment, what we do is we we have lots of apps and, and you know, we store receipt information in our email and there are things to scrape your email. But realistically, you should just have one app, which is I spent my money from, you know, Barclays and I can tell when I go into Barclays all the things that I, you know, that I spent that on. And, 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 and that's how you could get a much more richer set of budgeting advice and things like that rather than what we get today, which is kind of like, well, what are the ins and outs? And, and I'll try and help you on that and I'll pick out some big items like utilities or mortgage payments or whatever. That's one 
way again of like creating more efficiency in the system. And then I think on the merchant side, it all does come down to fee structures because Visa and MasterCard charge the fees that they charge to run the entire network. And then there are payment gateways and they need to get paid. And then there are POS terminals and they need to get paid. And then there are fraud and analytics company that overlay their solution and they need to get paid. And so the merchant ends up paying a whole bunch of people in the middle versus what is available today, which is to make that API, API payment from sender to receiver. And so when you can make that payment without having anyone in the middle, and you can use the security on a mobile device or the security that exists within the banking app itself, you've just removed a bunch of people that need to get paid. And so as a result of that, you don't have to make that, you don't have to charge that fee to the merchant. And then obviously the merchant doesn't have to uncharge that fee to the end consumer. Right, okay, so as I said earlier, technologically speaking, all these things called APIs and open banking and blah, 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 and all these kind of just words really, are a potential set of Lego blocks to be able to do this differently. So you were having had quite some exposure to this whole scene for some time. One morning woke up and thought, what if I had every API to, let's just stick it with the UK for the moment. What if I had every API to every bank in the UK, then surely Mike could sell his hoodies because I'd have Barclays and I'd have NatWest on my system. And, and, and if somehow I got my stuff to him, then he, he could use that and it'd be much cheaper and everybody be happy. So I schematically at the beginning sort of laid that out, less fag packety without going into a whole engineering manual. How are you guys approaching this? Yeah, so the easiest way to explain it really is that there's there's two types of rail pay, payment rails that you could you could pay. One is the credit card networks, and the other one that people consumers would be used to and businesses would be used to is is making a payment within their banking app. So if you gave me your sort code and account number, I could log into my Barclays app and I could put your sort code and account number in the amount of money that you want, and then I can send that money to you. And in the UK and in Europe, there was some legislation called PSD2, which said that that particular payment mechanism should be made available to more parties. There should be more people that allow that payment, that, that, that set of rails to be accessed so that it wasn't just you and the bank that could get access to it, but that this could be made available to you in other areas. And so that legislation is what has enabled the ability to take that rail and that rail, if you, you know, make that payment today, you know, if you paid in Barclays account to a NatWest account, you would expect the person to receive it basically as soon as you hit send. And so it's that technical rail that what Bank has done is gone and connected up to all of the banks in the UK. And it is now saying, well, I can take that mechanism for payment and I can put it in useful areas. So a useful area could be on an e-commerce site. A useful area could be a button, a digital button in a, a button in a digital invoice. Um, a useful area could be my example before about the charity platform. And so the experience that you would get trying to make the payment, if we put it to say an e-commerce site for now, you would log into your e-commerce site, you'd shop, you buy a pair of trainers, you then um, go to checkout. And when you go to checkout, you have the option of paying, you might have the option of paying credit card, debit card, PayPal or there'd be a button saying banked. And then if you hit credit card, the normal process would be you 16 digit pin, you know, address, you might have to do 3D secure. Um, some sites today will, will send a code to you that you then need to confirm and go back. If you go to check out via the banked button, the first time you hit that, we will present you with a list of banks. You'll choose Barclays. That will then push you to your Barclays mobile app and then when you get there, you'll open it however you normally open it. So whether that's biometrically or, you know, if you use a code. And when you get in there, you'll be presented with a page that says pay 
this e-commerce store, £100, would you like to consent? And you'll say yes, and then you'll be bounced back and the payment will be completed and the trainers will get sent to you. So that that process is is possible today because we're not using the card network, so we're not needing 16 digits, so you're not having to send your information to the merchant. Instead, what is happening is we're using an API to send the merchant's sort code and account number to you through that process and you're doing a push payment to the merchant. I see. So that's very clear. And let's just make it into simple terms for people like me or people who are jogging or driving cars or cooking dinner, which is that. Let's just take the first simple case, which I think, as you say, is the way to understand the technology and expand it, which is I am selling my hoodies. My hoodies are great, £30. And you say, how do I know, Mike, you're going to send me the hoodie? And I said, well, look, you know where I live and you're a big, strong bloke. So <laughs> I'm going to send it to you. you. Go, oh, OK. So you pick your phone up and you're Revolut and I'm Monzo and, and you send me the money. I, I read my, my account details from my phone and you press and I go, oh, yeah, I've got the money. Right, great. I'm, I'm off to the post office kind of stuff. So that is fairly straightforward. It hasn't used any credit cards or all that kind of stuff. It's just you'd sort codes, etc. OK, so I, I get that. And then you go one step further and you say, well, actually, rather than just selling one hoodie at a time every two weeks that you speak to a guest, which is not a good business model, like, what about sticking it on your website? I go, oh, that's a good idea. So I stick it on my website now. So you can buy a hoodie and listeners can buy a hoodie when they're not speaking to me directly with me reading out the, the sort codes. So just coming at this completely from basics. So I could on my website say, my sort code is this, da, da, da. Send me the money and I'll send you a hoodie honestly. So I guess that that would work. And every time I see money coming in, I then match it up with some email from somebody called Brad who said he wants a hoodie and then I sort of send it out. Now, presumably there's a, a disadvantage to doing it that way, which is why you say, well, actually, you're much better off having a button called banked. There's probably two core things. One is there's a whole conversion process. So you, you would then be requiring somebody to read your sort code account number, copy that, then log into their bank, then enter that in, then put the right amount in, then try and put your reference ID in, and then lots of places for them to drop off and go, do you know what, I don't want your hoodie anymore. As I found with my father when I tried to transfer some money a year ago, you know, you get to a certain age and, and sort of numbers and sword codes don't sure. really work. And I get a phone call, oh, it doesn't work, you've got the wrong number and blah, blah, yeah. blah, and all that kind of stuff. So, so that isn't actually a practical solution. So instead of all that, as I understand it, we so we don't go down that route. I don't stick my sort code because you're going to have halfway through the sort code, you think, oh, forget it, I don't need the bloody hoodie, and you give up. Instead, I put on my London Fintech podcast a button called Banked, and it says, press this button, and you won't be charged a, a penny. And what will happen is your phone will go, bring, 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 bring. And you look at your phone, and you press the thing, and it goes, oh, Mike's hoodie shop wants some money. Is this okay? And you stick your thumb on, and, and job done without typing any numbers and all that kind of jazz. In a sense, yeah, that's right. There's a there's a d direct you know connection to the payment that you're requesting and the and the place that you want to send the funds to and you know a technical solution to then have that delivered to the consumer via a user experience that they feel comfortable with and that that is secure. The the most important bit being that's secure. And I think the other part of this is that we also as part of the process for you Mike selling the hoodies we need to know that you are actually Mike selling the hoodies. And so what we don't want to happen is that you say, well, I'm Mike selling the hoodies. And then you send a whole bunch of these you know, requests out to people and people keep pinging them. And, and, and the money is just going to, to Mike, who's not selling hoodies and fraudulently requesting people to send him, send him money. So what we do is we make you 
connect your bank account as the merchant, connect it up. We do that via an API. We do a company's house check on you. So we confirm and validate that you are exactly who you say you are and that you have a trading history and that you are the person that is, you know, is, is setting off on this business. So, so we, we also undertake the due diligence to ensure that a customer coming to you knows that when they hit that banked button and that, that it has all that connectivity, that it is going to go to the place that they've intended it to go to. I see. Well, it's another sort of episode in itself. Let's not go down the rabbit hole. But if I'm Amazon or something, then you you know, you, you're 100.0 or 99.9999% chance that your due diligence is, is right. If it's Mike, I may have a trading history or something. I, I, I may get hit by a sort of uh, falling tree and lose my mind or somebody else might actually take over my site and there will be a percentage chance that things things go wrong so going back to your point about insurance piece exactly right presumably a, a sort of a cost of in, insuring that risk i'm not meaning you brad i'm meaning any organization in the world if ibm did it or if hsbc did it they'd still never be able to be 100 percent certain on every merchant they check out because tomorrow is always different from today so the only point, reason i'm making that is that apart from the fact that you need to feed the family and all that kind of stuff the cost of this can't be zero as I said at the beginning, yes. in theory, the cost can be zero. In theory, the cost can't be zero because, as I say, you've sent me the money, but I haven't sent you the hoodie. When you buy stuff online, even if, for example, you buy, I don't know, HD music online or something, you send the money and then you get some download link and you're clicking on it. Oh, God, the bloody thing doesn't work. So there is always that uh, thing there. OK, so that's very clear. And uh, I'll ask you a little bit how we get outside the UK with uh, that very briefly and how you at Banked are getting everybody to stick a Banked button on their on their website uh, but before that i'd like to thank all the listeners out there i'd particularly like to give a shout out today to all the listeners in the isle of man who are presumably throwing their hats in the air off to the pubs and the restaurants and football matches or whatever they play in the isle of man i'd also like, like to thank my brand partner for the podcast smart pension who are far secure and free check out their uk workplace pensions at autoenrollment.co.uk so you mentioned banked once or twice and we've got a good idea of what you're doing. You're selling a button to stick on a, a merchant's website. Are you selling an app as well? We do have an app. We don't really promote it. We use it for customer testing and things like that. The main thing that we sell is, is, is a developer product. So we, we sell access to a developer console at banked.com where a developer can essentially get up and running and, and, and put payment initiation into their website um, essentially within, you know, within minutes after signing up. We've done a number of integrations with lots of major e-commerce platforms and we've got, we've got a bunch of integrations um, and partnerships that we'll be announcing over the over the coming weeks bank's entire role in all of this is to take the pain of, of connecting up to all of those banks and the the abstraction of, of all of the things like error messaging and unhappy paths and and, and the like and, and and make it as simple and easy for a developer to, to copy a you know a few lines of code and then and then get payment initiation into their website in saying that you remind me of what i did many years ago with hiroki at Go Cardless, where Go Cardless were basically just keeping it simple in my simple terms, connecting all the world's direct debit schemes together. And my God, that's a hell of a hard job. And once they've done that, they give you something. Go, oh, that's really useful because to do it myself, it would take forever. Yeah, you're kind of doing the Go Cardless on on in the UK's terms, faster payment system. Yeah, you know, which is that I, in principle, could go and sort the APIs out with a hundred banks or whatever. But do you know what? That's a bit of a pain. So I'd rather pay Brad a few quid to do it for me, give me, as you say, a nice sort of API and developer console and all that kind of jazz. Before we just very briefly talk on uh, the overseas stuff, uh, I thought at some point it was kind of illegal for, and it was illegal for merchants to offer 
different prices depending on whether you're paying with a credit card or debit card or all this kind of stuff. There was some strong arming of the government certainly a long time ago it was illegal. Um, but then more recently, I don't know, you go to buy some flight from EasyJet. EasyJet says, well, use that card, that'll be 25 quid. You go, what? Use that card, it'll be tuppence or something. So uh, yes, presumably that's broken down now. So I, I, as a merchant, can offer my hoodie at uh, £33.33 pence if you want to use a credit card, or I can offer it sort of £30.30 pence if you want to use the banked button. You definitely have the right to incentivise the payment mechanism that you that, that is important to you. And that's why this is about the merchant being able to access this product for cheaper than what they can access card networks. How we, you know, banked and the merchant choose to incentivize the customer to try, a, you know, this is a brand new product, it's a new experience, new behavior. That is what's going to happen over time, I think. And, and we're going to see different examples. I gave the charity example before, but I think there's going to be a number of examples where, where I think messaging incentivization at the point of checkout is going to be really important to, to how this proposition becomes mainstream and, and really does compete against cards. I see. Okay. So it's a little that. So then briefly, in terms of the product you're offering today and, and who should be contacting you immediately other than myself flogging hoodies. What is it you're offering to, to people in the UK today and, and what are your plans to taking over the whole of Europe and then the whole of the world? Yeah, so we're, so we're in the UK and Ireland at the moment. Right now, the best way to visit us is at, at bank.com. We work very, very well in an e-commerce environment. We've got a number of, as I say, charity platforms that we work with. We look at the top up, topping up of accounts and wallets, so movement of money from, say, one account to another is another very good example. So, for example, if you were trying to top up a, a digital banking wallet, typically in the past, you would have done card on file, which is very expensive. And so having this option, you know, makes that far more economical. And then, as I said, we, we will grow out our partnerships. And so us being able to do, we just did a recent partnership with Equid, which is an e-commerce platform, and we're looking at a number of others so that, again, a developer and also non-developers can come along and you know effectively drag and drop our solution into their site and use it as an as as potentially an alternative to credit card, but also use it as something that sits alongside credit card. And so this is going to grow. I think we're we're very interested in talking to to small businesses right you know right now, and we we're also you know in discussions um, with a lot a number of large enterprises. So the product itself is very suited to anyone who's looking to exchange you know money from sender to receiver and then our business is in building all of the features that sit around that to make it as easy as possible and as you know as and, and strip out this inefficiency that exists in the current system excellent well that's been very clear i, I have to admit that um when i sat down a few weeks ago to go through my usual sort of pile of 300 emails of people who all of whom are telling me that they're the hottest things since sliced bread and you know they're the, they're the new google of uh, fintech and all this kind of jazz. I saw the uh, email from your friend saying that, oh, yes, there's banks. And I sort of vaguely heard of you, but I've vaguely heard about most things, really. You know, you're, you've got some innovative way of payments. I kind of rolled my eyes <laughs> because I've just simply, and not because you haven't, but because I've heard it a thousand or 10,000 times over the last uh, last six years. And of course, most of those have gone, well, virtually everything has gone nowhere very fast. But as you've explained, it's a very simple, clear proposition at the schematic level, which is, look, okay, forget all that complicated stuff. You've got the APIs. You know, you know, if you've got your phone there, I've got my phone there, we can pay each other money. It doesn't cost you, it doesn't cost me. So in a sense, if you can generalize that and do all the complex stuff behind the scenes, like the go cardless, then it's a really interesting proposition going forward. And at that point, you're just left with a simple thing called business and execution and doing it well and successfully. How hard can that be? But I think it's been a very interesting show. And I think you've explained it very simply 
and clearly Brant. So I wish you every success in the future. And maybe I should sell hoodies. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mike. I appreciate it. If you do, let me know. I can help you out with the, uh, the payments part of the business. Ah, excellent. I shall bear that in mind. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you have any challenges or needs with your unlisted company board, get in touch with me at mike at londonfintechpodcast.com. We could sit in a bender all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride To come away from the city the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so grey With the pain of the Mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight dance.